us down to the last comic shop in five, four, three, two, one. Live from the Reavers underground techno hideout thing in the outback, it is now time for the last comic shop podcast. Wolverine. That is right. We are opening the shop up to newbies, but sorry, no blooming onions. <laughs> oh. As we talk about comic books, there's going to be a lot of questions on this one because we are getting into like prime Claremont X-Men. That's right. This show will be honest. It's for the oldies who remember the power and the glory of the 80s Chris Claremont X-Men soap opera where we will be talking about the Outback and the X-Men on the run and the Siege Perilous and a number of things that don't make a lick of any sense. But, uh, man, are they fun. Yeah, I, I am the host with the most, Andy Larson. I'm joined by Chad Smith and J.A. Scott. And, man, now you got me hungry for a blooming onion and that weird, like, mayonnaise dip that they give you. Like, I don't even know what that stuff is. They're like, here, it's orange and it's goopy and it's in the middle. Just just dip it. You'll be fine. You'll be They've fine. already convinced you to eat an onion. <laughs> By deep frying it. <laughs> yeah, here's some tire. Here's some shards of glass. We put it in batter. Will you eat it now? Sure thing. Absolutely. All day. You ever eaten a corn dog at a at a county fair? You'll eat anything if it's deep fried. Any case, as as JA pointed out, we are talking about the X-Men this week. It was a promise made to him. Uh, in our season three ending, where we were like, hey, uh, we should cover some Outback X-Men, since it seems to be among at least our age group and a lot of X-Fans, a very popular era of X-Men uh, comics. Yeah, I, I think it's like, you know, it's the X-Men for Generation X, because it falls between two major teams, and it's just a bunch of people thrown together together. And they just kind of go on for a while. Everyone thinks they're dead. No one can see them. It very much is the Generation X of X-Men. There's lots of ennui and long shots trying to sleep with everybody. It makes sense. <laughs> yes. It is the uh, X-Men equivalent of Reality Bites. So um, I have been looking forward to this for some time because as a comic book fan, one of my secret shames is that I'm not really an X-Man fan. I don't know why. I feel like everybody probably has a character or two within the popular comic book zeitgeist that they're like, you know what? I just never got into that character. And it doesn't mean that like the X-Men stories are bad. I've read a lot of them. All the early Chris Claremont stuff up through, you know, Dark Phoenix and all that. I've I've read this now. I've read later X-Men, the Hickman era. But yeah, every single time I start reading the X-Men for some bizarre reason, I get bored and or confused and or like don't care. And I stop reading. So I wanted to posit this question to my co-host today, because I'm sure they have somebody like this. Uh, and we'll specifically talk about Marvel, since it's a Marvel show. Are there some Marvel characters that, despite best efforts, despite trying to read them, that you either found them impenetrable or just, gosh, you just never could get into? We'll start off with Chad. Chad, do you have a character like that? I definitely do. And so my, my collection, my physical collection... It's pretty vast. And I, I, when you first uh, made me think about this, 
it's like, well, there's there's a run for everybody that I feel like I've enjoyed. Like I've read Doctor Strange for a period of time. I've read Ghost Rider, even Punisher and characters that like I'm not crazy about. I can always point to a run. That I'm like, no, I had I had a ton of fun with that one. But the shocking thing to me, for me, it's the Avengers. The Avengers proper. I've never read an Avengers proper book that has impressed me. Now, I've read New Avengers. I like my Bendis Avengers. I read Mighty Avengers for a time. West Coast Avengers, yeah. The whole Burn and uh, Scarlet Witch and Going Bad and all that. But the actual Avengers proper book, like, even the best stories, like Avengers Under Siege, I read that. It was pretty good, but eh. It just doesn't do it for me. I thought you were a fan of the uh, Jonathan Hickman Avengers run leading up to Secret Wars, or or no? Do you not consider that part of the pro- Avengers proper? I I don't know. Maybe you just read that because you needed to know what the hell's going on with Secret Wars. Do you honestly consider that an Avengers book? Well, I I, I mean, it starts off at least with having like the quote unquote core Avengers from the movie. So you have Captain America, Thor, Iron Man, Black Widow, Hulk. Hawkeye, whatever. But then they bring in all those yutzes. But primarily, it is a story that deals a lot with Captain America and I guess the Illuminati. So you're right. It's it's a weird thing. I I, I hear what you're saying about the original like core Avengers team, and I, I agree that you have in the past commented. You're like, I don't know about these people. Uh, <laughs> Jay, what was your character? Mine is the other sort of tentpole team for Marvel, and that is the Fantastic Four. And despite obviously loving the introduction of Galactus and the Silver Surfer and the odd story here and there, I just never got into the Fantastic Four. I could never read more than two or three stories. They would show up in crossovers occasionally, and I always just thought Mr. Fantastic was goofy. He's just a goofy, goofy character. The reason why they had to make him this big super scientist is because no one takes him seriously as this man who stretches. Comic version of Stretch Armstrong. That's super weird because both of you guys are X-Men fans, and yet I really do love both the Avengers and the Fantastic Four. So I guess ultimately in this comic book marriage that we have between the three of us, we balance each other out. I mean, Chad, I know that J.A. is a massive X-Men fan. Would you consider yourself an X-Men fan? Oh, dude, for a period of time in the 90s, it was Uncanny X-Men, it was X-Factor, it was New Mutants slash X-Force. Like, all those books were the the hottest thing. Yeah, I I love that stuff. Now, I I will admit, I had dropped off before the Grant Morrison new X-Men run, and ever since then, it's been a bit of a... But every (laughs) night... I can dip back in. Like I love the the astonishing X Men run, and with the the Hickman stuff, it, it's weird to me, especially after considering the the book we're going to talk about today. But the X Men just seemed consistently broken since the Morrison run. Like Grant Morrison was like, "Oh, I have this great fix for the X Men," and like, did it need fixed? I don't know, but it hasn't been right ever since. What do you mean by off? Well, whenever you had the like secondary mutations and that sort of stuff going on, and you introduced all these hundreds of characters, and then they're like, oh, wait, we have too many characters. We need to get rid of the characters. And then there were no more mutants wandering around. And then, good golly, the Hickman. Like, we're going to make uh, I, drugs and have a sex island. 
Yeah, I, I think because of what Claremont did and his his run is so influential and he is so influential with X-Men, I think every writer feels like they need to follow in his footsteps so it becomes just this even more grand soap opera. X-Men is the ultimate soap opera. Everyone dies, everyone comes back. You know, it's like, how can I write for a character with no head? How can he say his lines? He's got no head. Yeah. (laughs) I love it, Soap Dish. To to be honest, I have not read any of the Grant Morrison X-Men. So I stopped reading probably right when Claremont left and Jim Lee took everything for X-Men and it kind of got pedantic. And then I was brought back by... House of X, Powers of Ten, and Hickman's run, and then he left halfway through. Yeah, <laughs> and apparently cribbed some of the uh, the idea from somebody else. But at least it was a strong vision. That's X Men have always had lots of different takes. It's just I don't know if they congeal. Right, and that's one thing that we'll talk about. You know, after this commercial break, whether or not uh, Claremont should have ever left the X Men. Was he the grand planner? Has everything been downhill since Claremont? We'll see. We'll be right back with more of our review of the X-Men and the Outback Saga. Yes, when Claremont took the mutants down under right after these commercial breaks. LastComicShopPodcast.com is the destination for all things shop. Plan your week with upcoming show schedules, the latest books, recommendations, and chatter from the crew. Subscribe to the show on all major podcasting platforms from one convenient location. Show your support and browse the merch store. T-shirts, tanks, hoodies for the fam, coffee mugs, magnets, totes, and more. Check out exclusive content through the show's YouTube channel and follow the pod on Instagram, Blue Sky, Threads, and others. All this and so much more at www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com Sasquatch The Loch Ness Monster Mothman The Jersey Devil Chupacabra For millennia these creatures have perplexed the human race but what if they are forces of good? What if they have been sent here by a federation of more advanced alien species to help and defend the human race? That's the premise of League of Cryptids, a new comic book by Grant Lankard, creator of the smash hits Beowulf and Memoirs of the Morbid. His new comic, League of Cryptids, is a four-part story involving these five creatures banding together to defend Earth from an invading alien race. Just as one of their members is losing faith in the human race and questioning their mission. The epic tale begins in League of Cryptids 1. Check out our Kickstarter page for more information. And we are back and ready to go into the weeds. And yes, there are some significant weeds on this. We are doing the Outback X-Men starting at Uncanny X-Men 229 and going up through 251. For those playing at home, you can choose to read the Inferno crossover event that happens in the middle or not. 
either way, it doesn't matter because half of this run is batshit crazy. There's a couple of storylines that <laughs> last four issues. There's a storyline that lasts one issue. This was quite a run. We had a lot of different creators. Obviously, Chris Claremont helmed most of the writing for this, but give me everybody else that was involved. Ooh, doggy. Okay. So, <clears throat> the biggies include Chris Claremont as the writer, Mark Silvestri, and Dan Green were your primary art team. You had uh, Glynis Oliver on colors, Tom Ors- Orsakowski on letters, and then Ann Nascenti is the editor for the first portion. Bob Harris pops in at 2.32. And then we have a parade of other artists helping out. We have Rick Leonardi, who does pencils on 2.31, 2.34, 2.37. We have Joe Rubenstein, that does inks on 2.30, 2.34. We have Pete Craig Russell, that does inks on 2.34. Pete Scotzi does colors on 2.36. Terry Austin pitches in on inks on issue 2.37. Rob Liefeld pencils an issue with 2.45. Jim Lee pencils an issue with 248, and Steve Leahola comes in and does finishes on issue 250. Whew. Yeah. It takes a village, brother, to do the That's X-Men right. back in the day. And if we're including the X-Factor issues, you had Louise Simonson on writing and Walt Simonson on art and a handful of other anchors there. I didn't dig into those issues. But yeah, yeah right. Like, before we get into the 10-cent synopsis, why would you not include the Inferno issues, J.A.? Because, like... Madeline Pryor is a prime member of that Outback X-Men team, at least in my opinion. And that tells the story about where the hell she goes. Like, so if you don't read that, all of a sudden she just disappeared. Yeah, but I I also didn't want you guys to read another. It was it was going to be a long amount of reading to begin with. So I was like, well, you can just say that Madeline Pryor went off and and never came (laughs) back, became the Goblin Queen, traded her flight suit for a much better costume. Oh, buddy. What a costume it was. But yeah, you had Bob Wyachek on inks there, Joe Rosen on letters. Did you guys include the New Mutants? Because I actually skipped the New Mutants part. I didn't go down. I did not read those. I just read those X Factor issues to fill in where they told me to uh, in the uh, Inferno crossover. Speaking of that, I can't wait to hear the synopsis of this one. Well, here it comes, folks. Your 10 cent synopsis for about a bajillion issues of X-Men. The J.A. was gracious enough to recommend that we read for this week's show. And as an X-Men fan, I hope that no one will take uh, umbrage with what I'm about to say. Because, you know, as somebody that's outside the tent, this is what I took from all of these issues. So... It starts off by the X-Men fighting the Reavers, who are a bunch of cyborgs that hate mutants. Because, question mark, I think this Donald guy that used to be the White King on the Hellfire Council hates mutants? Shrugs. I don't know. Yeah. Donald Pierce! Donald Pierce! (laughs) They they handle their hash very easily, it seems. Shrugs. Time out. You you forgot the whole big thing. The Outback X-Men is set up by the end of Fall of Mutants, where the entire world thinks that the X-Men are dead. Yes! And and Roma has cast a spell where they can't be filmed by electronic surveillance. So if you see them walking down the street, with you can see them with your eyes. But if you have a video camera, the video camera won't pick them up, sort of like vampires. So they've become vampires. <laughs> They didn't become the true undead. They're just more like John Cena. You can't see me. So this long story short, 
It's a team made up of Colossus and Rogue and Psylocke and Storm and Wolverine and Havoc and Dazzler and Longshot. Madeline Pryor and Gateway fill in kind of the gaps. Like, Gateway is kind of like a MacGuffin guy that just takes them wherever they need to go in the next couple of issues. And Madeline Pryor is the person behind the desk or the man in the chair or whatever until she becomes the girl with the underboob. And that's that's pretty much where that goes. From there, there's just a bunch of like weird random stories for a little while, like Longshot fights ghosts. Oh, the brood, you forgot the brood, the brood show up? Oh yeah, that's right. The super team of brood folks. For some bizarre reason, Claremont was like, I'm gonna name all these. I don't <laughs> he just must have had a thesaurus nearby. Uh, what's a good name for somebody that's can throw bricks? Brick thrower. All right, there we go. But there was some brood issues, and then lo and behold, they go to Genosha for the first time, and that's actually where I started caring. Uh, Genosha is like that island country where they enslave mutants, and so the first time you see that, Rogue's kind of got this weird thing going on where because she absorbed Carol Danvers, she sometimes turns into Carol Danvers? Question mark. Which is not to be confused with Lorna Dane, uh, who's Polaris, and Malice, who's also taken over her personality. And so they're going back and forth. Yeah. You don't know who you're talking to there. I, I really like that that play on personalities with uh, with Rogue. And there's that one issue where she's going back and she sees like all the different people she's absorbed as ghosts in her subconscious. Yeah. And then she can see Carol Danvers, but Carol Danvers is like fully formed because she she took more of her personality. Yeah, where was Carol at this point? I know that Chris Claremont was pissed off at Marvel overall for the handling of Carol Danvers, who was one of his babes in other books like Avengers 200. But, like, I thought she was binary at this time. Whatever. Regardless, and then it's Inferno, right? Where Madeline Pryor becomes the Goblin Queen, brings a bunch of demons, (laughs) tries to get her baby back. Um, Who is Cable, by the way is real pissed off at Cyclops because Cyclops is like, hey man, uh, I got my original babe back and so I don't need to be with you anymore, cloney girl. People becoming bad. Longshot becomes like all demonic or whatever. and well, starts having. Inferno. That's the Inferno. That's the man. Right. But then eventually, yeah, uh, Mr. Sinister's introduced. Because he's the one who is the back for Mutant Massacre, the, the backing right. guy. Yeah. yeah. And then from there, after Inferno, like everybody decides to just leave. Yeah, we're done with this. And so they they slowly but surely kind of leave the team, like Storm, quote-unquote, dies or some bizarre stuff. No, 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 no. She's she's captured by Nanny and Orphan Maker. That's uh, right. A- after they go to the mall. <laughs> yes, yeah, we don't first forget them Jubilee. going to the mall. And we get first appearance of Jubilee. Long story short, by the end of all of this run, it all comes full circle. Because who shows back up? But that Donald Pierce and the Reavers, he's got a whole bunch of new Reavers, and they put Wolverine up on a cross, which I'm surprised that we didn't read 252, because evidently, according to J.A., that's one of the best issues of the X-Men ever, because that's the banger where Wolverine's like, you got me up on the cross, now I'm down, and I'm coming for you. Oh, yeah. And that's the 10 cents synopsis. Whew. It's just a lot of stuff. Posting these little things, and then he's like, maybe I'll come back to this idea a thousand years from now. Yeah. It really shows sort of 80s comic book writing, too. You remember, it's sort of like when you watch an 80s TV show or a 90s TV show versus television shows today where 
before it would be you get 20 episodes a season. Now you get six episodes a season. So every episode is like really concise and and it's sort of like comics now. You know, you get those really concise story arcs. This is not that. This is we got to put out an issue every two weeks. Yeah, they figured out they'd make more money making more issues of X-Men than they would with another spinoff. So while you have this team and they're in the outback sort of and no one can see them within that, you get a lot of sort of self-contained stories. The brood story, the Genosha story, which I think is one of the highlights of it. The really nice two issue master mold story. Oh, yeah. We didn't even bring up Nimrod. Like he shows up for some bizarre reason and then gets. Is that where Nimrod becomes like a thing? Uh, Nimrod is a sentinel from rachel summer's future well then why is he killing come like- back. hold on he's come <laughs> back in time and this is way back in earlier x-men since then he he like develops a conscience and the nimrod we run into in this x-men is working as like a construction worker and going out and and, and being like a crime fighter oh okay well you know what wasn't something that i glossed over was psylocke right up until I read this series of issues, I was all of the opinion that all the artists drew Betsy Braddock as less sexy <laughs> than when she became like the Quanon Psylocke, right? No, yeah. no, 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 no. Mark no. Silvestri, she was <laughs> the bomb in that. She's hanging out in like lace teddies most of the time, and there's like polls online. Best Psylocke costume and her costume from the Outback is number one. Yeah. Well, it's weird because they kept on commenting. They're like, you have to wear this armor. Your physical form is not hurt, Psylocke. Instead of, instead of saying like, you have to wear this armor, Psylocke, because we have to cover up them sweet ass. T- Dazzler's running around in a leotard. Colossus has just got briefs and nothing else. Right. No clothes for the Outback X-Men. Havoc's running around with no shirt, little tiny shorts most of yes. the time. And, like, and Storm keeps jumping into like showers with Betsy and what's going yeah. on there? And like hanging out with Wolverine in the bathroom being like, hey, babe, like we need to go Bet- take Bet- care of this. Bet- Betsy Braddock's posing nude for Colossus. Just lots of sex. Lots Colossus, of sex Colossus can't change. He's stuck in his iron form. But then one day he does change. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that was weird. So there's an issue where Colossus goes and meets his sister. And I guess it's like a precursor to Inferno, right? Like it sets up where the, I don't know, sin comes from or whatever. Like He goes into limbo. He goes into limbo. Actually, Gateway sends him there. But he's able to turn back into a human there. And I didn't understand how he was supposed to do that. And that's that's a follow-up from Mutant Massacre, right? Where he he had to go into his armored form to survive, right? That's because we did read that on the last comic shop earlier. Go check that yes. out in our archive. But how was he able to change back when he was in this alternate dimension? Did they not explain that, or don't they care? Magic, because it's in limbo. <laughs> but uh, also worth noting, and these are things that I also learned later: the Demon Sim, a takeoff of Dave Sim of uh, Cerebus fame. Oh, right. He does look a lot like Cerebus. It's just like kind of big and bulkier, but he wears the little vest and all that. Good call on that, Chad. I would have completely missed that. Yeah, um, I did for a long time. <laughs> all right, like, let's take this topic and send it through the two words I don't think you brought up. 
The Siege Perilous. Ooh. What the hell's The Siege Perilous? Who can explain? <laughs> you know what? I, I, I want to bring it's, that up, guys. Because that was something where I thought that was going to be a major part of this entire story. Every single time you guys would talk about the Outback X-Men, you would always link it with, oh, yeah, and the Siege Perilous. Right. And so I was thinking, like, that was some sort of monumental dimensional fight where there was a big boss and something, and they ran in there, and they all died fighting this guy. And it's, like, in two issues and a gem, maybe? I I just didn't understand any of it. So the ultimate Chris Claremont reset button. You go through the Siege Perilous, and it changes you. You get judged in this plane, and then you're sent back. So at, by the end of, I think it's 251, it's the Wolverine issue on the cross. The remaining team has gone through the Siege Perilous, and subsequent issues, they all come back. They don't know who they are. They don't have any memory of their past. And it's a reset. They all get to go off and do stuff for a while. Like Colossus is back to human form living in New York. And Dazzler is back in Hollywood. She can't remember what happened to her. Nope. Betsy that- Bra- I forget what happens to Betsy Braddock. She becomes the ninja. Assassin. Yeah, right. Yes, you're right. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, she, she gets body swapped. Well, that's retcon. But she gets body swapped and, and, and becomes uh, the, the Asian ninja. Um, and then uh, Rogue ends up in the Savage Land. And then Storm becomes a kid. But Rogue then splits apart from Carol Danvers and then is just Rogue again. Yeah, with the sweet bomber jacket, which was kind of another, again, play on all of these costumes. It it kind of made more sense to me why eventually Rogue would wear a bomber jacket, because if she spent a lot of time with, like, Carol Danvers, who's, like, ace, you know, pilot or whatever, maybe that rubbed off on her, and she's like, I want to wear a bomber jacket now. Makes more sense. Although I will will say that's the iconic Rogue outfit for me, is bomber jacket Rogue, not... Well, that's X-Men 97. By the time you get Jim Lee coming on and redesigning all the costumes and you get, you know, your classic rogue, you get your classic uh, Cyclops with his that wide belt. That's that's not a classic Cyclops. The classic Cyclops is the Cyclops from the giant size X-Men. No, I I understand that. But the, the 90s one holds a special place with the little hair coming out over top of the visor. Oh, I hated head socks. Too many head socks. <laughs> Speaking of the X Men '97, how much longer before Gambit shows up? Uh, uh, only a couple of issues. Yeah, Ooh. it's it's Storm as a as a child. All right, I was just curious because honestly, I've given my thoughts about these particular issues, which is like I guess hopefully everybody gets it from my confusion over the ten cent synopsis. And I know what J.A. thinks, because this is one of his favorites. I want to ask Chad, before we get to commercial break and we get to our ratings, is this one of his favorites or what? I think the Outback X-Men, it's what the the hipster kids will point to as the best X-Men, because all the popular kids are going to say it's the Jim Lee era. You know, whenever you get the X-Men in their matching costumes and, you know, all the Jim Lee art, which that, that stuff is awesome, too. But, like. If you really want to sum up what makes the X-Men fun, that nonsensical soap opera, people are living and dying and being resurrected and going through the siege perilous and, you know, none of it makes any sense. And it's all just one bad guy after another coming up. And, but it turns out that she's a clone, but it doesn't matter because she's 
someone else inside her personality, and they're going back and forth because she got knocked out, and now it's that other lady's turn, because that's how that works. Uh, this is the essence of the X-Men universe. They're just wandering around. They've stolen a base. You know, they're just... <laughs> Plus, you get wonderful art in here. That Mark Silvestri art, man, he I did not appreciate him at, at a time growing up. And that was something just on a personal level. I was digging into the archives, and I pulled out the actual issues that I had whenever I was 9, 10, 11 years old, uh, which are not in good shape. But, uh, boy, such melodrama. And then we didn't talk about how X-Factor, being a group of mutant hunters for the public, but secretly they were actually taking the mutants in and helping them. But the X-Men didn't know that because Madeline Pryor was the one controlling their media, so they just saw they were all bad guys. But then Jean Grey's there, and then Wolverine sees Jean Grey, and they have a big old smooch. None of it makes any sense, and I love it, I love it, I love it. Before we go to commercial, one other thing that you should have loved is, is this the first time Rob Liefeld drew the X-Men was on that particular issue with the, the guy's night out or whatever? Well, yeah, this is his only issue of the X-Men proper. He had done some New Mutants work by this point, like an annual or so, and he had done a lot of X-Factor. But, uh, yeah. This was him waiting in the wings to take over New Mutants, issue 86. And by the way, for those people that are reading these at home and they're confused, that's actually that issue with the guy's night out. That's a play on something that was going on at DC at the time, right, Chad? Yeah, so that's another thing. Todd McFarlane was the artist on DC's Invasion crossover, where they were going to drop the gene bomb and give all these different people powers. But the X-Men had their own gene bomb. Which was it was Jean Grey in a tube with uh, strategically <laughs> placed bubbles. Yeah, yeah. Some, in some in some long shots, they're not even there. <laughs> Rob's like, nah, whatever. That that encapsulates the X Men too, because if you want to know how do these aliens get Jean Grey when she's over an X Factor, uh, no, you can't think about that stuff. You just just have to look and find Alf and Yoda and uh, everybody else in the background. So that's what you should focus on not that the plot makes a lick of sense because it doesn't that's interesting that you said um it was based on a take on dc that mcfarlane was doing because originally i said is this mcfarlane because that alien i thought was straight up mcfarlane art and then i was yeah. like no it's liefeld so that's why he was aping mcfarlane when he was drawing like that that yeah those oh, giant yeah. giant ass yeah. teeth i thought that was mcfarlane yeah well, I will say this, based on that art and that particular issue versus the stuff that we just read in um, Deadpool a couple weeks ago from Rob Liefeld, I, I, I actually enjoyed this his, his earlier art a little bit more. It just seemed a little more detailed. There was a lot of cool stuff going on in those, those issues. In any case, uh, some, also some cool stuff going on with The Last Comic Shop is our ratings. We'll be right back with that in just a few seconds. Have you ever been reading through a stack of comics and thought, maybe I should see what the Sarkham Asylum game is all about? Or been playing Marvel vs. Capcom and felt like you were at a real disadvantage since you didn't know who half the characters were? Well, Play Comics is the show for you. I'm Chris, and each episode we take a look at video games based on comic properties and how well they stick to that source material. So whether you know the comics and want to know how all these games work, or you know the games and want to find out where all this craziness came from, go check out Play Comics at playcomics.com or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. BCWsupplies.com has everything a comic collector could need. Boards, bags, long boxes, and so much else for our ever-so-increasing collections. 
and you can save 10% on your total order by using promo code LCSPOD at checkout. Not only does this take 10% off BCW Supplies' already low prices, but it supports my favorite podcast, The Last Comic Shop. So get all your collecting gear at bcwsupplies.com and save 10% on your order with promo code LCSPOD at checkout. That's LCSPOD at checkout. Happy hunting! with more of the last comic shop and it is now time for our ratings where uh yeah we're gonna go get down into mates and uh get some a one out of four scale from jay scott as to what we're gonna rank this in huge run of like 25 issues of x-men from the late 80s we're gonna rate it after gateway the mutant that is not part of the x-men but just sits on a rock then opens gateways for them but also for the reavers and for a bunch of other people i he's playing the long game he actually shows up in in krakoa as well and his powers are put to use but so gateway portals how many gateways are you gonna rate this this era it's almost an era right Uh, 25 issues is over two years yeah i'm surprised it doesn't have an omnibus on honestly maybe it's because inferno's in the middle of it yeah i think so so you can get the stuff up until inferno in prologue to inferno but then everything that comes after inferno is in the first jim lee omnibus but it's not jim lee it's still claremont and mark Silvestri, but it's considered the jim lee x-men omnibus that i hate omnibuses sometimes <laughs> it yeah, doesn't it make, make sense no it doesn't it doesn't and then the second jim lee omnibus is the start of x-men when the adjectiveless yeah, the adjectiveless X-Men book, which that should have just been the only Jim Lee book. Because, yeah, he was on the other books, but it was really, you know, it was uncanny X-Men still. You had Silvestri, you had a bunch of different artists, and you still had Clish Claremont. Yeah, and everything. speaking of omnibuses, I had Evolutionary War omnibus sitting near my bed. Don't ask me why. But there was an annual that was drawn by Art Adams that kind of tells some parts of, like, what happens in the Savage Land, which... Has some connections with some of the later issues, I think, like 249 and 250. And, uh, yeah, I was really pissed off about that because they don't have this, the whole annual. They leave out all the X-Baby stuff, even uh, though they have the cover. Ah. X-Babies were great. That lady just shows up out of nowhere. What was her name? Zolidane? Yeah. So- you, you need to read that annual because she shows up in that issue with the High Evolutionary. And she's like, ma, ha, ha, I love mutants and i hate humanity here frog guy go get some more sauce it's weird (laughs) uh so we're gonna get to our rating finally and we're gonna start off with ja because this was his pick so ja what are you rating this particular era of x-men yeah i will i will freely admit i have hipster tendencies though i don't consider myself a hipster (laughs) i just like the things that they like sometimes the first um, album was better. Touche. <laughs> yeah, I, it was nice to go back. I really enjoyed it. It reminded me why I enjoyed it so much the first time. I didn't remember it jumping around so much. Like, here's a story, stop. There's another bit, stop. I, I think we talked a bit throughout the week. I really like when they sat in Genosha for a while and you, you stayed in one place and you got a couple of issues with an extended story. The Madeline Pryor stuff, 
I don't know. It, it it was like Claremont just driving it at his editors that he was really pissed off that they didn't let him run Cyclops off into the distance with Madeline Pryor and have and, and keep Jean Grey dead. So now that she's back and he's like, well, then I'm going to make him the biggest dick in the world. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I got out of that. So I, is it the best X-Men ever? No. Is it? Close to the best X-Men ever? No, but it's also all these broken parts that come together and they kind of work. And that's what I like about it, too. It's very much the Generation X of the X-Men, as I said earlier. So I'm going to give it a 3.5. All right. Uh, yeah. Okay, so I, I think I've mentioned it on a number of times that, that I love this and how much it doesn't make sense when you look at it. And I think this was an era... They really benefited from checking in every two weeks and having a little bit of a gap between. I don't know if this is something you would want to read in all one collected edition, just because I don't think that suits it. Because it wasn't one cohesive story that was set out to be told over time. It was a series of character studies intertwined. And so you have the whole rogue Miss Marvel and dealing with rogue's powers and abilities, and that's going on. And then you have the whole Dazzler and Longshot and... You know how Longshot doesn't want to be tied down and dealing with all of those things. And you have the Havoc and his love life screw-ups, whether it's with Madeline Pryor, whether it's with Lorna Dane, maybe it's with Dazzler. You never know what's going on with Havoc and, like, he's going to find a way to screw it up. But you're, you're seeing all these things, you know, interweave throughout all these different adventures. And then you have Colossus and all the power that he has and all the stuff that he holds back and all of those things. That It's so much fun to read and to follow these characters. And that's not even counting the, the stuff from Inferno when, you know, Madeline Pryor gets her, her day and there are demons going on. And this just, it reminds me of one of my favorite eras of Marvel Comics because everything spins off into something else. Everything touches on something else. You know, Colossus is just as home here in these X-Books as he is traipsing over into New Mutants for a couple of issues. Uh, you know, the Inferno storyline. I remember the, the crossovers into Daredevil that were awesome. There were some of the, the best issues of Daredevil going on. How that spilled over into Spider-Man. And that's where the Jason Mackendale Hobgoblin gets his demonic powers and all that other stuff. There's so many things interweaving throughout. And, you know, and, and as I'm reading, like, if you take these on an individual issue basis even... They're not, oh, this is the best of comic books. But when we had a chance to pause or stop, like, oh, you guys don't have to read Inferno. No, I'm going to read Inferno. Oh, i got to pull out those X-Factor issues, too. Or, oh, we're going to stop at 251. No, I read 252 and into 253, and then it was time to record the show, so I put it down. Like, it just inspires you to keep going. You get sucked into that soap opera in the best way. And so I, I, I love it. I love what it represents. But yeah, it does jump around, and there's not a lot of cohesion sometimes. You know, hairstyles change and then don't change, and costumes change and then don't change. And, I don't know. I gotta go a, a very long-winded Claremontian-esque 3.33 on, on this run. I think it's it's a level, but it is it's a whole different creature. <laughs> yeah. And I think there's a lot of good points that you brought up. Um, as again, somebody that's not an X-Men fan. Uh, one thing that I did take from this to piggyback on what you said, Chad, was when I talk about how strong the 616 continuity was, it's this kind of era that that's what I'm talking about, right? 
Like you brought up like the crossovers into Spider-Man and the crossovers into Daredevil, the crossovers into the Fantastic Four with Malice, right? Like Malice was a character that it took over Polaris in these issues, but primarily I equate Malice with Sue Storm. Uh, and the John Byrne stuff that was going on, because now that's where you get uh, boob window Sue Storm later, because evidently that was the effects of malice on her and her decision to make a, a, a risque costume. That's all malice. Real quick, the malice that took over Sue Storm is different. It's not. There's two malices? There's six malices in the Marvel Universe. The supervillain Malice is a marauder, was created by Chris Claremont. That's not the Malice, the Mistress of Hate, from that is part of Invisible Woman's personality. Oh, yeah, you're right. That's Psycho Man, I think. Psycho yes, Man. Psycho Man. That. Psycho Man, yes. All right. Well, and then I'll, there's I'll... Malice, who's a Black Panther villain, and then Malice, who's related to Nakia. <laughs> All right. All right. Regardless, I like the fact this is where the strength of Marvel comes from. Back in the day, the 70s, the 80s, the early 90s, where everything just played on each other. And the continuity was so strong. And even though, sure, hairstyles changed from one issue to the next, the overarching stories didn't. There was reasons why you wanted to read other books. Like you were picking up these other books to get other pieces of the story that were going on in the Marvel Universe. That, that has a very warm place in my heart. So, like, I really loved that aspect of these particular issues. The other thing that I really loved about these issues was the art. You really got some of the best artists of, like, the late 80s. As I mentioned, the Rob Liefeld issue is really strong. The Jim Lee issue, really strong. Mark Silvestri and all of those. And behind all of that is that Dan Green ink. Which, like, it doesn't matter whether it's Mark Silvestri doing the pencils or Rick Leonardi filling in on the pencils. You got that Dan Green inks kind of, like, level-setting everything, making it look crisp. Uh, and you can tell when Dan Green's not on an issue. Like, it just looks different. And I was just speaking about that high evolutionary story. That's done by Art Adams. These are the people that I equate as X-Men artists right here. Other than maybe John Byrne. And uh, Dave Cochran. Like, those are the other two big ones that I think of when I think of X-Men artists. They're all here on these issues. That being said, though, I'm going to give this a 2.75 because, honestly, it's all over the place. It really is. I was let down by the fact that there wasn't, like, some sort of huge Siege Perilous story because, like, I feel like you guys built that up, that, like, this was a massive thing. It ends up being in, like, two issues. And I, I commented on that in, like, private text between the three of us. I was like, what the hell is this? Like, where is this Siege Perilous that everybody keeps talking about? And, and, and other than the Genosha issues and some of the Inferno stuff, the rest of it was just like, yeah, there's other characters coming in. And I don't care about the Brood. And I don't care about this or that. And the Reavers and eh, whatever. So, yeah, it's a 2.75. It's better than average. It's it's almost really good. Is it the best of the X-Men? Is it the best X-Men I've ever read? No. That's like Dark Phoenix and Hellfire Club and all that stuff. We all know that's the best. And I even think uh, there's other X-Men. Like, uh, I, I like Hickman's run more, honestly. One other thing that we really love on The Last Comic Shop is recommendations. Yes, these are other comic books that you can pick up in addition to either finding the single issues 
of some of these parts of the X-Men saga of this time. I found them in buck bins, some of these issues, so they're fairly easy to get a hold of. Or if you want to get those nice omnibuses, you can get three of them, as J.A. pointed out. I don't know why you would do that. I think you're better off getting the, um, uh, what are they called? Uh, Epic collections. Epic epic collections, yeah. But even those are sometimes pricey. Regardless, go to your local comic book shop, pick up some of these X-Men issues in addition to these other books. And we're going to start off with Chad this week. So, Chad, what is your recommendation for this week? So, for my my recommendation, I'm going to go with something that's a little bit more recent. it's another team book where they are just sort of kind of wandered around trying to deal with some bigger things that are happening. It is the most recent run of guardians of the galaxy. Uh, it's written by Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing. Uh, Kev Walker is the artist primarily, although there's, there's been a couple through the eight or nine issues that I've, I've read up to this point. Groot has become this cosmic level threat. There's this thing going on called Groot fall. He's taken over planets and, you know, uh, with all his grutitude. And so the Guardians of the Galaxy initially are setting out to uh, to sort of stop their old friend. But it's kind of like an old west. They end up going from planet to planet, you know, these desolate places. And they've got a little bit of, you know, duster jackets on. Which that's the thing we didn't mention with that X-Men, the Outback era. There was a plan for them to all wear different colored duster jackets and fedoras. There's a picture posted in comic scene from Mark Silvestri. Man, oh, Dato, I wish they would have done that. But this Guardians of the Galaxy run, it's just tons of fun. You get to see the Guardians, you know, fighting amongst themselves. And then you see what happens once they do encounter Groot. And you have different aspects of different characters being messed with. Mantis is in a whole different place than she normally is. And then she's dealing with all these other, other different versions of Mantis. And if you're familiar with the Guardians just from the movies... I feel like you can pick this up, but if you love the cosmic side of the Marvel Universe, uh, you know you get guest appearances by uh, some of those young Avengers, Wiccan and Hulkling, and you know how they have ties with the Kree and the Skrulls and all that other stuff. There's just a whole bunch of stuff at play, and it makes me feel similar feelings to the Outback era of the X-Men, where they're just wandering from spot to spot, and characters are fighting. And so it's the Guardians of the Galaxy book that is on shelves currently. I'm sure there's a couple of trades out there as well. All right. Well, I'm going to go next. And this is a comic book that I guess you can get in comics at your local comic shop because you can find the individual issues that some of these particular portions uh, appeared in originally. But I'm going to talk about a bootleg comic that I received for Christmas this past year uh, from my good friend uh, and co-host Chad Smith. For those folks that might have watched it on YouTube and our uh, gift exchange uh, stream, uh, you'll know that Chad was lucky to find uh, a collection somebody put out called the Unofficial Marvel Comics Hostess Ads Collection, which is a small book Uh, that somebody painstakingly and oh my gosh just wonderfully crafted collecting all of the uh, Marvel hostess ads that used to appear in issues of the Bronze Age Marvel comics back in the day you know what I'm talking about they were full page ads they had about six panels they all started off with one superhero a bad guy shows up Uh, they tussle for a little bit and somehow 
some way that superhero defeats the bad guy by serving up delicious treats from the hostess company. Whether it's cupcakes or Twinkies or fruit pies, all villains have a sweet tooth, evidently, and that is how they are ultimately defeated. And I was just amazed when these ads were all collected into one thing, to be honest, because there were a lot that I actually had never even seen before. A lot of them featuring Captain Marvel, which was really weird. Like, I remember all of the Hulk ones, and I remember the Captain America ones and the Spider-Man ones. But there's a bunch with Thor and Daredevil and Iron Man that I don't remember. And yeah, the Bronze Age Captain Marvel, the original Marvel, he appears a lot fighting like a giant flea that's trying to eat a flea market. And then there's another girl that's trying to rob people with a giant hairdryer. Human torch has to defeat. Um, yeah, there are going to be some, you know, Gen Zers out there that are kind of kind of say, all right, Boomer, put down your like little stupid comics. But I think these are wonderful. Honestly, they are. And so if you have an opportunity to find this uh, on the webs, just search unofficial Marvel Comics Hostess Ad Collection. I can't tell you where it is, but the person that puts it together, it's a really great car. It's a really great stock of paper that he uses. And not only that, but there's an index at the back, which actually tells you where he pulled these particular issues from. So you get an entire listing of all of the different comic books that you can find. Things like Thor in The Dingaling Family. Or The Hulk versus The Roller Disco Devils. Spider-Man, the cupcake caper, just wonderful stuff. So again, thank you to you, Chad, for this oh, wonderful no collection. Yeah, talk about those those retro feelings. Nothing's better than seeing those old school ads. Those are just wonderful. All right, and uh, we're going to go to JA for our last recommendation. Okay, I would feel remiss if I didn't uh, recommend an X Men book, seeing that we just did a giant sized X Men review. Uh, did we talk about how great some of those costumes were, by the way? Psylocke's costume, Dazzler's costume, Havoc's classic costume. Just great. Mark Silvestri. Ugh. Just just how sexy better. everybody was. Oh, they're so yeah. sexy. And, and, and Jim Lee has a major thanks to give to Mark Silvestri for all the hair. Rogue's <laughs> hair, Storm's hair, Madeline Pryor's hair, Jean Grey's hair. They all had great hair. Yeah, they did. Woo. Yeah. Woo. Anyways. What kicked off in 2019 with Jonathan Hickman's House of X, Powers of Ten, is coming to an end. That's right. It's ending now with Fall of the House of X and Rise of the Powers of Ten. And that's what I'm recommending. The first issues came out at the beginning of January. We've got five issues of Fall of the House of X, five issues of Rise of the Powers of Ten. And this is the conclusion of the whole big Krakoan X-Men thing. Finally. Which means Chad's going to have to sit down and finally read this now. Oh, a lot of books, Chad. You got a That's, lot. I, I'll give you the Cliff Notes version of some of them. because There's, there's so lot. many. There's so, so many. many. Anyways, Fall of the House of X takes place in current day. The mutants have been decimated. Cyclops is on trial for his life. Orcus has come down. They're this organization that wants to get rid of mutants. Combine Stark tech with Sentinel tech. So now you have Iron Man Sentinels. 
Magneto is gone, and Nimrod, your favorite character, Andrew, is going to kill Krakoa. Wow. And so Krakoa, like, rips himself out of the ground and does a runner. (laughs) (laughs) And that's just the first issue. And then you've got Rise of the Powers of Ten, which takes place in the future when the battle for Krakoa has been lost. And now they're trying to to change things. So it's it's all happening. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know the conclusion. As we're recording this, they've just released the first issue. But my recommendation is if you have invested anything in the Hickman X-Men, you need to read the conclusion of it. Follow the House of X by Jerry Duggan with art by Lucas Wernock and Rise of the Powers of Ten by Kieran Gillen and R.B. Silva as the artist. Man, Jay, are you going to re- make us read this? I mean, we read what? House of X, Powers of Ten. We read Fantastic Four. X, we read X of Swords. We read Inferno. I mean, we yes, have we, to we read got to read it. We have to read it. Yes, uh, we'll read it at the end of the year. Okay. My big question is, do you think the X men ever recover from the hickman era well they recovered from being down under and going through the siege perilous so yes <laughs> yeah nice. they, they're like cockroaches chad that's part of their radioactive powers you can't crush the x-men they'll be back they survived onslaught right i mean somebody brought them yeah. back from onslaught so and did you hear i know uh it popped out of the Rob Liefeld podcast. One of their plans, they tried to get Jim Lee back. Coming out of the Krakoan age. is going to happen. But what the heck are they going to do? How do they get out of this? After <laughs> everything from uh, oh exterminators and the marauders and everything that's happened in those X-books. It's just so much craziness. Well, one thing that's not crazy, though, is the ability to get The Last Comic Shop on your device weekly. That's right. All you have to do is go out to www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com. You don't have to go to Australia. You don't have to take a portal. You don't have to do anything. Just go out there, rate, review, and subscribe. We've got links to all of the major podcasting platforms, including YouTube, which you can check out our podcast every single week. And not only check out those new ones. But go back into our archives and check out all the awesome X-Men books that we've covered already. We talked about some of them just recently, X of Swords and Inferno. But we also got Mutant Massacre. We've also got, you know, related books like um, New Mutants uh, Demon Bear Saga or um, The Labors of Magic. Just J.A. makes us read a lot of (laughs) X-Men on this show. It's either X-Men or uh, Silver X, Surfer. X-Adjacent. <laughs> it's, there's always something for all of you X-Fans out on our website. And while we might be the last comic shop podcast, we don't want to be the last comic shop, so we encourage everybody to get out there to your local comic shops, find those issues of those old school uh, uncanny X-Men, find things like the Guardians of the Galaxy group fall. Find things like the unofficial hostess ads, although you may need to go off onto the interwebs for that one. And don't forget to check out the stuff that's happening currently, like the fall of the House of X or the rise of the powers of 10 or any of the other crazy things that are coming in to wrap up that Hickman era. But uh, in addition to comic shops, we always have our website that Andy was talking about before. Jay, what's our specialty this week from uh, our merch store? Oh, well, you said it earlier. It's dusters and fedoras. (laughs) 
You can get them in any color you want. Nothing gets more 90s than that. Indeed. <laughs> um, yeah, but they eventually used with Gambit. They gave him, like, I guess it's a trench coat versus a duster, but come on. Like, that's the same deal. And then yeah. everybody got trench coats after that. They were like trench coat mania. Can we all agree probably the worst Havoc costume ever oh, was yeah. his, his X-Factor? Oh, those were all awful. I love that run, but man, you cannot beat the classic Havoc costume. Just the, right. the black bodysuit and the circles and the weird head thing that doesn't... Oh, they did everybody great. injustice. What about the original Polaris costume? You remember it. Sleeves, it kind of looked like Cyclops. It was great. Multiple man, I don't know. He I'm, got a duster. He did. He got a duster. I think actually he that was the only it. one I liked was Multiple Man's X-Factor costume. But regardless, we don't have matching costumes on The Last Comic Shop. All we have is our wonderful camaraderie, and we hope you come back next week for more comic book talk. Until then, I was the host of The Most, Andy Larson. I was joined by Chad Smith and Jay Scott, and we hope that you stay safe. Stay outbacking. I don't even know if that's a word. Go get a blooming onion. And remember, J.A. loves the X-Men. That's all I can say. It's crazy. How many more X-Men books are we going to have to read this year, J.A.? We never did Dark Phoenix, and we did Mutant Massacre, but we haven't done Fall of Mutants. And, of course, secondary run in New Mutants when Warlock's dad shows up. There's an omnibus out now. We could cover that. That's so Hellfire Gallop, of course. We've got the Hellfire Those are like 60 issues apiece. There's the brood the first time they show up, and then oh, the whole time that daily knockoffs. Come on, man. There's some great issues with Forge and oh, oh, not Forge. Have... <laughs> X Men. The last comic shop podcast was a 2024 Black Angus production.